Welcome to another FT.com special podcast on the financial crisis. I'm Martin Wolf, uh, the FT's chief economics commentator, and I'm joined by Gillian Tett, our capital markets editor, and we're going to talk about the extraordinary events in Iceland. So let's start, uh, Gillian, by your explaining how this banking system of Iceland exploded to the quite extraordinary scale it, it has reached, and uh, and how it's collapsing. Well, Iceland is extraordinary because what we've seen over the last year is essentially a series of banking crises. This marks the first time that this great financial pandemic has mutated into a new host, if you like, which is the world of sovereign debt. And essentially we're seeing not just a bank or a hedge fund tumble, but an entire country. Um, The reason why it's hit Iceland is because, in some ways, um, Iceland is a very heavily leveraged um, place. The banking sector grew to a phenomenal um, scale in recent years relative to the underlying economy. Um, In fact, people were joking to me two years ago that Iceland was starting to look like the world's first country that was run like a hedge fund. And so just as many hedge funds have become victims to the great wave of deleveraging that we're seeing now, so too Iceland is in a crisis as well. Now, of course, we've seen sovereign debt crises quite frequently. Uh, One of the more sensational ones just a few years ago was Argentina, which actually did default on its sovereign debt. Um, But it was, of course, a fiscal crisis directly. What makes the? In what respect is this different? And what might the difference mean for the future? Well, essentially, the problem with Iceland has been the speed at which its banking sector exploded. One can argue that, in other ways, Iceland's fiscal position actually wasn't so terrible until quite um, until recently, or in, rather until it was faced with the cost of trying to bail its banks out. Um, but we did have banks explode at a stunning pace, to a point where last year the banking assets were about ten times the size of GDP. Um, and... Essentially, the country was engaged in a form of the carry trade. It was using the availability of cheap finance on global capital markets to fund investments in higher returning overseas assets. And that, unfortunately, now is falling apart. Why was this actually allowed to happen? And the, I mean, were the Icelandic authorities themselves aware of what was going on? Were any outside regulators aware of what was going on and concerned? Well, that is one of the questions that policymakers need to do some serious thinking about in the future. And one thing you can certainly bet on as a result of this crisis is that there's going to be a lot of rethinking of the global financial architecture. I mean, you yourself, Martin, have written on this and have some very strident views. Um, Unfortunately, it seems that Iceland, just like many hedge funds, just like many shadow banks, effectively fell between the cracks in that the British authorities were not looking properly at the risks posed by, say, Icelandic operations in Britain, or for that matter in Germany or elsewhere. And the Icelandic authorities, sad to say, appear to have been completely out of their depth. What's going to happen to actually to the people who put their money in these banks? Are they all going to lose it? Is there going to be any rescue at all? Can the Icelandic authorities themselves, or will they do anything, or will it be up to other governments, and what might they do? Well, we're already seeing the start of a very nasty fight between the British and Icelandic government over this. And if you're feeling gloomy, you could see that this is a start of a broader trend towards economic nationalism, towards more protectionism, um, more mistrust, more fighting, which has much wider implications than just for Iceland alone. Um, What is clear is that Iceland itself does not have the resources to make good all the commitments in the short term. 
And that is a potentially very alarming situation. So is the Icelandic government actually going to be forced, having taken over these banks, to default on its own debt? Well, um, it's always very dangerous to predict that kind of thing. But if you look at how, say, the credit derivatives market is behaving at the moment, um, they are so concerned, in the, there's so much concern in the credit derivatives market about the prospect of default that if you want to take out a contract to pr protect yourself against that risk, you have to put a very large sum of money up front. Now, Iceland is, of course, exceptional as far as we can see in, in the, the ratio of bank assets to GDP world quite extraordinary. But there are quite a number of other countries, aren't there, with very high ratios of bank assets to GDP. My memory is that in the case of Switzerland, it's about six. In the case of the UK, it's between four and five. In the case of the Netherlands, I think it's a, in the same sort of uh, range. Is Iceland an indication of what could happen to other countries? Well, I know for a fact that this morning, some banks in London are holding discussions internally about the scale of um, bank liabilities relative to GDP in other countries. People are putting their rulers over these kind of sums and paying very close attention to this. Because the whole point about Iceland that makes it important systemically is that it's brought attention to the question of sovereign credit risk, not just bank credit risk, but sovereign credit risk. And once you've opened up that Pandora's box, then there's actually a lot that needs to be discussed about how countries are going to pay for the broader costs of banking bailouts going forward. Now, is this, if we get more problems of this kind with smaller nations, perhaps, or nations with exceptionally big banking systems relative to their GDP getting into difficulty, are we going to be driven towards some sort of cross-border cooperation with governments supporting one another? Or is it more likely to be the case that just banking systems which don't have a sufficiently strong sovereign credit behind them will disappear or collapse? Frankly, right now we don't know. I mean, over the last year we've learnt that seemingly unimaginable scenarios can actually play out sometimes. I mean, let's hope that we're not heading towards either of those scenarios. Let's hope that cooler heads prevail, that the crisis um, does die down. But the big issue at the moment is that we have a international globalized financial crisis on our hands if the leaders cannot produce an international globalized financial policy to cope with that there is going to be danger of a drift towards greater protectionism and nationalism in the future and frankly that makes this weekend's g7 meetings arguably the single most important g7 meeting we've seen for many decades thank you very much nice disturbing uh, prospect we all hope the policymakers are up to it uh, hope, I think, more than feeling confident in my own in my own case. Thank you very much.